Lord, your arms are wide open to receive us. So, Lord, let us be faithful and true to bow down before you in humbleness. And, and Lord, and to ask you for mercy and grace. Lord, that is so faithful to us. Lord, thank you for the victory through Jesus that he paid on the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Please take your Bibles. Open to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We finished our series on uh, the I Am statements. And so I'm going to do a few uh, sermons out of John chapter 17 as we move towards the holiday season. Um, So I'll give you a second to turn there. John chapter 17. There are few moments in life when we get the opportunity to see clearly. We can walk around for days, months, and years wandering and playing and simply moving from activity to activity without any real sense of purpose or being. We are constantly distracted. And many times, if we're honest, we enjoy blinders being on so that we can ignore the greater world around us. I think that's part of being a human. But then, there are precious times when the fog lifts and our vision narrows onto what is most important. Those are precious and few. For many, it takes a tragedy to wake us from our slumber. For others, it may be finding a lump on our body and knowing that it doesn't belong there. For others, it can be a significant relationship abruptly coming to an end. For others around the world, it can simply be going to a bowling alley or waking to a terror attack or a war breaking out. An old Tim McGraw song illustrates this moment of clarity, one of my favorite artists. He says, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about options and thinking about sweet time. I asked him, the doctor, when it sank in that this might really be the end. And he says, how does it hit you when you get that kind of news? Now, if you're like me, you're going to sing the rest of the song in your head. Well, I went skydiving. But the point of the song is pretty clear, right? Or I think about the movie, The Bucket List, um, about somebody who gets that news and they have to really figure out, well, what's at the bottom of this life? What's at the bottom of it? Like, is it really just, what is this really about? It's those kind of moments that really show us, really, when all the fog clears, what really matters to most of us. What is at the bottom of it? Now, as we come to John 17, we find Jesus in the same context that we found him in the last few sermons of of the I Am series, right? Jesus has taken his disciples to Jerusalem, uh, where the Jews are seeking to kill him. He's made his triumphal entry. He's been teaching in the temple. And now it's Friday evening, Friday evening, and the disciples have gathered for the Passover meal He's instituted the Lord's Supper, washed their feet. He tells them they're going to betray him and that he's going away. Peter says, I'm not going to let that happen. Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me. And then what happens next is amazing. Well, Jesus knows the cross is in front of him. 
This is his last night with the disciples. He's about to walk out across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be hanging on a cross in less than 12 hours. Okay? He's always known this was the mission. This is the mission. It's given Jesus clarity of life that seems so elusive to the rest of us. There is an increasing, put yourself here, there's an increasing sharpness in his eyes. There's a growing intensity in his focus. These are the last few hours he has with his disciples before he, so that he can prepare him for his departure and their future mission. So what does he do? What does Jesus do in these last moments? He prays. He prays for himself, for the strength to do what needs to be done. He prays for his disciples and the fact that the shepherd's going to be struck and the sheep are going to be scattered. And he prays for us, his future, the future church. He prays for us. Now John 17, as we come here, is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. It is, according to many scholars, the most important chapter in all of John. This is it. Some even call it the holy of holies of sacred scripture, which means this might even be the most important scripture in actually all the Bible, as it reveals the inner heart of Jesus pleading to the Father as he prepares himself and the disciples for the cross. With Jesus focused on the fulfillment of his mission with the cross in view, he wants us to see his heart and our calling, okay? There are no distractions or blinders here for Jesus. There's, this isn't happy-go-lucky time. This is sharpness, intensity, no fog, no blinders, no distractions, complete focus. So let's look at this text through the clear and focused eyes of Jesus. And just ask yourself, what does he pray for in, this inc in these incredible moments of clarity? What does he desire for us? What does this prayer reveal to us about Christ and the Father and our purpose in this world? What is he asking the Father to do in him and for us as the church? And what I hope that you'll see is that this, pr this prayer beautifully summarizes everything we've studied thus far in John. And so, I want to read the text, and then we're going to look at three specific items. We're just going to read, actually, verses 1 through 5, okay? Because that's all we're going to look at today. This is what Jesus says. This is, he says, when Jesus has spoken these words, his final teaching portion there of John 16, this is right before they go to the garden. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. 
I want to give you three specific things that Jesus prays for here and how those things impact us. Number, number one, I want you to notice that Jesus prays first for the glorification of the Father and the Son at the cross. Jesus prays for the glorification of the Father and the Son at the cross. Jesus begins, if you notice his prayer, as he typically does, Jesus begins by praying first, he says, by addressing God as Father. He comes, he lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he says, Father. Now, the Greek word is pater, the Aramaic word, and some of your translations would be Abba. It's the word that toddlers would use. The, the common vernacular is daddy. Daddy. He comes, to, he comes to his father and he says, Abba, Dada, Daddy. Now, that's important because in Jesus' day, the prevailing view of God was that he was distant and far off. And because they were fearful of blaspheming the Ten Commandments and taking God's name in vain, they shied away from any kind of personal, intimate language referring to God. But not Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene challenging this concept. And what I find interesting is that in all of the recorded prayers of Jesus, over two dozen, in all the recorded prayers of Jesus in the Gospels, he begins all of them by calling God Father. Save one. And that's the prayer of dereliction that Jesus is going to pray on the cross. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only prayer of Jesus in the Gospels that he does not begin by calling God Father. Jesus taught us to pray to God as Father. So Jesus shows us that his, his, that his relationship with the Father is one of intimacy, one of closeness, one of fellowship, and one of love. Father. But then notice Jesus' main concern here. There's one petition here in verses 1 through 5. Jesus prays specifically for the Son to be glorified. And that the Son would glorify the Father or exalt the Father. That is Jesus' chief goal. He prays that the Father would glorify the Son and that He, Jesus, the Son, the Messiah, would ultimately glorify the Father. This, is, this has been Jesus' entire mission on earth. He's come to do the will of His Father. He's come to please the Father. He's come to glorify the Father and accomplish His mission. And that goal of glorifying the Father has led him to this very hour. That's what Jesus says, right? That the hour has come. Now John has told us several times in the Gospels, if you've read through it closely, there's been several occasions when Jesus tells the people, my hour has not come. That he slips through the crowd because his hour has not come. When they want to take him by force and make him king, my hour has not come. But it is now that hour. It is now that hour. It is the hour of Jesus going to the cross so that the Father would be glorified in the Son and that the Son would be glorified in the Father. In John 12, Jesus says this at the beginning of this teaching uh, series. Jesus says in John 12, He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's the goal, that's the mission, that's the purpose of this hour. He just told them at the Passover meal in John 13, he says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in Him. So Jesus prays here with a laser focus on what lies ahead. 
The cross is the mission. Listen, the cross is the place. If you want to see the glory of God, you have to look at the cross. If you want to see where Jesus is most glorified, it is at the cross. It is the place where the Father glorifies and exalts the Son, and the Son will glorify and exalt His Father. It's the place where the love of God and the justice of God will kiss, and they will meet most They will meet together. It is the place where the love of God is most clearly demonstrated for the world to see. And it is the place where the Father places His stamp of approval on all that the Son has done through the cross and the resurrection. Now here's my question. What does that mean for Jesus? And what does that mean for us? Well, I've explained what it means for Jesus. He's going to glorify the Father. But what does that mean for us? Listen, it means that we are to live with the same goal and passion as Jesus. Same laser, clear-eyed focus. We are to live for the glory of God, no matter what that means. Calvin said, it is for God above all things and not for ourselves that we were created. You have to get to the bottom of that in your life if you're going to live for the glory of God. Why were you created? Why are you put here? Is it for yourself? Is it for your own pleasure? Is it for your own purposes? Is it for your own desires? Or are you here principally and primarily for the glory of God? That's what the old Westminster Catechism says, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of man, the purpose for which you and I were created. That answers the ultimate question. What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Why does the universe exist? The Bible answers it as plainly as possible. You exist for the glory of God. There is no higher calling or goal or purpose than that. In fact, that is what one of the very reasons for which Jesus died. In, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, And he died for all. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Catch that. He died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was was raised. Jesus died to free you from the tyranny of living for yourself and for lesser purposes. He died to free you from your own selfish desires so that you can live for his glory. So we live for the glory of Jesus. We live for the glory of the Father like Jesus. And here's the truth. When we live for the glory of the Father through Christ, we are answering this very prayer. When you live for Jesus, you are answering for this. You are, you are the answer to this very prayer. When Jesus says, Father, glorify me and your Father, glorify me and I will glorify you. That is the first thing. Jesus prays that the Father would be exalted and the Son would be exalted together at the cross. Second, Jesus prays for the accomplishment of His mission through the cross. Jesus is going to the cross. He prays that that His mission would be accomplished. Look again at verses 2 through 4. He says, Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all those whom you have given Him, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So look what what Jesus is praying about here. Jesus' mission, in verse 2 there, is to give eternal life to those that the Father has given him. 
That glorifies the Father. I'm going to do what the Father has called me to do. I'm going to give life to those that the Father has given me. Jesus says, I have all authority from the Father, and I'm going to use that authority to give life to my people. Again, I could reiterate this. Has this not been one of the most major themes in the whole Gospel of John, that Jesus has come that we may have life? And have it abundantly. That Jesus is the bread of life. He's the water of life. He's the resurrection and the life. Right? He is the way and the truth and the life. It is through the cross that Jesus will give life to his people. That the seal and the promise of eternal life will be unleashed because of the cross. Jesus will give his life for the life of the world. And Jesus, secondly here... He will accomplish the mission for which he was sent. Now, as I think about Jesus saying, I have accomplished the mission that you have given me, I've accomplished the work, it makes me think of special forces. I mean, I think about how um, our men and women are so single-mindedly committed to their mission. There is no deviation to the right or the left. They eat, sleep, and train so that they can do what they were called to do. A whole life bent on mission. Now, how much more so are King Jesus and the mission that is before him? He does not have a a mission simply to go into one place and eliminate one enemy. Jesus has a mission to give his life for the life of the world and to conquer sin, death, and hell and the enemy for all eternity. How much more focused is Jesus? Jesus is committed to the task, and he will accomplish his purpose. He will not fail, right? In John 11, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. He says, No one will snatch them out of my hand. He will not fail. Listen to me. The cross is not for nothing. Jesus secured your eternity at the cross, and there is nothing else that can happen. I am going to be saved not because I am able to keep myself, or because I'm so good or righteous or holy, or because I have it all put together. No, I'm a weak and failing sinner, and if it was left into my hands, I would go to hell. It is because Jesus does not fail. Our hope is that our King Jesus has accomplished the mission and has snatched us out of that and rescued us and we can be nothing other than kept by Him. That is the good news of the gospel. The cross and the resurrection guarantee our inheritance. But notice also here though that Jesus reveals to us the nature of eternal life. Do you see that? What is eternal life according to verses 2, 3, and 4? Jesus says this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus says eternal life is to know the Father, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, whom He has sent. That is the nature of eternal life, to know the Father and to know the Son. Now hear me, you have to get this. There's a very important caveat that you need to know right here. Knowledge here isn't knowledge in like knowing facts or history. Jesus isn't saying that eternal life is simply knowing some facts or knowing something about history, right? 
This is the knowledge of a relationship, to know someone, to know someone in relationship, not simply to know facts about them, right? Like, I can know facts about a person. I can know the history of a person. I can know where they live, but that knowledge does not equal a relationship. For example, I can know that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. I can know that he resided at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I can know that he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. I can know that he was our president during the times of the great civil war. That doesn't mean I know Abraham Lincoln. And that certainly doesn't mean he knows me. Right? So you have to understand that when Jesus says this, just knowing Jesus died, knowing he rose again, knowing that he walked this earth, knowing that he had 12 disciples, knowing that he established a church, none of those facts equal eternal life. It's coming into a relationship with the Father through the Son by faith. That is what it means to come into a relationship with God. It's not about knowing how to answer a test. There's lots of people that can answer a test about who Jesus is. And the old preacher saying is they miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference of knowing God in their head and not in their heart. That's the, that's the point. Jesus tells us here what this looks like. Just as the Father knows the Son and the, and the Son knows the Father, eternal life is for us to know the Father and Son by faith, to see Jesus by faith, to see the very glory of God. And this also challenges some other concepts we might have. Listen, eternal life, heaven, is not primarily about a mansion or about reuniting with family, those, though those things are true. It's about knowing and experiencing Jesus and the Father forever. Now here's the thing. If you don't want Jesus above all things, then you really don't want heaven. Because heaven is about Him. And lastly here, I want to say this. Jesus also reveals here a limitation. A limitation about His mission. Do you see there in verse 4 what He says? He says specifically in verse 4, He says that, I, that He has glorified the Father on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So first, you have to notice there that Jesus glorified the Father where? On earth. Jesus glorified the Father on earth. He was able to do that in the flesh on this planet. Not simply in the past or in the future or in heaven, but right here on this very earth. By the way, that's where we're supposed to glorify the Lord too on this earth, right now, in this place, in the flesh, in our body, we glorify the Father. But notice second, that Jesus did the specific work that the Father had assigned him to do. He says, it's the work. I did the work you gave me to accomplish. Now, if you've never thought about this, I want to challenge your thinking about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus did not do everything that could possibly be done in this lifetime. Did you know that? Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus has not done everything that could possibly be done in this lifetime. Let me give you some examples. Did you know that Jesus did not travel the whole world? He, never, he was never more than 100 miles from Israel. Did you know that he didn't even minister in all of Israel? Did you know that he didn't heal every single person he came into contact with while he was doing his ministry? 
Did you know he didn't write any books? He didn't start any orphanages or hospitals? Did you know that Jesus did not confront Caesar in Rome? Did you know that he was never married, nor did he parent any children? That he did not grow old or confront the problems of aging? There is a litany of things that Jesus did not do. He had limitations in his own ministry, but, 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 hear me. At the same time, his ministry was perfect, complete, and whole. He did what the Father had assigned him to do. Not everything we think he ought to have done. He did what the Father told him to do. He will go to the cross and finish the mission. So much so that one of his last phrases on the cross will be, It is finished. I have done the work. It is completed. Now, again, what does this mean for us? This should be very instructive for you and altogether refreshing. Hear me. This should be very instructive and refreshing for us in the ministry to which we have been assigned. Unless you are very blind, like you're not, you can't see, not in the physical sense, but just in the spiritual sense, unless you really don't know what's going on, you have limitations. Amen. Every one of you in this room, we are all born with limitations. There are things that we can and we cannot do. We all have limitations. We cannot do everything. Amen. You cannot do everything, and God has not called you to do everything. We beat ourselves up with so much guilt because we think there's all these things that ought to be done and have to be done. Now, some of that is right. If you're disobeying the Bible, then yeah, you need to repent of that and you need to get that right. But a lot of times we just beat ourselves up with guilt because we think that there's all these things in the world that we're called to do and we fail at so many of them and so we're just crippled by guilt and crippled and we have paralysis by analysis is what that's called. But listen, we cannot do everything, but we can do what we are called to do. Here's the basic principle of this in the simplest way I can say it. I want you to write this down. Here, here's the basic principle. Write this down and think about this the rest of today. The basic principle. By God's grace and power. Here's the principle. By God's grace and power, we do what we can with what we have for the glory of God. Let me say that again. By God's grace and power, we do what we can with what we have for the glory of God. That's it. You know what? I don't have to worry about trying to glorify God with $5 million. Let me tell you why. I ain't got $5 million. God doesn't expect me to have $5 million. I mean, I pray that he would maybe give me that, give me that one day. That'd be fantastic. You know, Maybe. But I'm not expected to do that. And right now, by God's grace, I'm not expected to glorify God in the midst of cancer. Because I don't have it. That I know of. But whatever station you find yourself in, some of you here, I could point and go, you don't have to glorify God by being a parent. Because you don't have any children. You don't have to glorify God by being a businessman because you don't run a business. But whatever station you find yourself in, by God's grace and by God's power, 
You do what you can with what you have for the glory of God. Leave the rest to Him. Take a deep breath of fresh air. And let all the rest of it fall off to the side. Listen, we have limited time, limited health, limited resources, limited opportunities. But nonetheless, we must be committed to doing what the Lord has assigned for us. And most of us, that is simply loving God, loving people, making disciples right here at First Baptist Church Huntington, in our homes, among our community, for the glory of God. That's it. And you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? We can, here, we can steward our time and resources. We can parent our children and enjoy life. We can bear one another's burdens and encourage one another. We can glorify Christ together on earth. We can do our work. And then, one day, when we lay down our head and close our eyes, and they put us in the ground, we can rest from our labors. And you know what? Not having done everything right, but being found faithful. And hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not having done everything, but having done what we were assigned to in our station in life. For the glory of God. And then finally, I want you to see this. Jesus prayed for his exaltation after the cross. Verse 5. Jesus says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now this gives us an insight into Jesus before he came to earth, right? It shows us something of the costliness of his mission and his incarnation, right? We learn something of Jesus' humility and grace. To do the Father's work and to do the Father's will, the glorious pre-incarnate Son, the second person of the Trinity, according to Philippians 2, He laid His glory aside, humbled Himself, took on flesh, and came to the earth in the form of a servant. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. To the one who could demand all servitude, instead he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And Jesus knows what's before him. He knows that the cross is the path of obedience that leads him back into the glorious presence of the Father. But also before all of creation. Right? Because Philippians 2 goes on to say that because he was obedient to death, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I want to close with that very point. The path of the cross is what Jesus is praying for. The path of the cross The path of suffering, the path of shame, the path of death is also the path of life and glory and exaltation. Jesus literally turns the system of this world on its head. Where Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. Those who want to gain their life, their lives must their life must be willing to lose it. To be a disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow him. Those who lose their life will find it. And this is exactly what Jesus models for us and calls us to in the gospel. Right? The author of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, he says. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the, what's that word there? Who for the 
joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The path of the cross was for the path of joy for Jesus. Exaltation in the presence of the Father. Listen, for Jesus and for us, we need to understand that the cross comes before the crown. The cross comes before the crown. This is the way that we are to have a single-minded life that I talked about in the introduction. When we get this moment of clarity, when we see with eyes wide open, this is the sharp-eyed laser focus that Jesus wants to impress upon us. Listen to me. Have one goal in life. You don't have to master a thousand things. Be mastered by one thing. Have this one goal in your life, to know Christ and to make Him known. And know that this mission will involve suffering, just like it did for Jesus. But it is preparing for you, like Christ, an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. The cross will come before the crown. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to have a brief time of invitation. First, if you don't know Jesus... You need to come to Jesus. You need to come find life in His name. If you are here and you're a believer and you've been, you're, you're bogged down by a thousand different things, you just need to repent and say, Lord, I want to make my life have one single-minded focus. I want the fog to clear and the lasers to focus. That I want to live for Christ and to make Him known. Maybe through this, God is showing you that He's calling you to missions. That He's calling you to lay down your life for the greater global purpose of Christ. Maybe He's calling you to sacrifice greater here in our community for the good of your brothers and sisters. A laser focus on loving God, loving people, making disciples. Maybe you're looking for a church home where that's the next step for you. That, hey, my focus has to be that I'm going to do what God has called me to do as a believer, which is unite with this body and serve Him together. Whatever the Lord is calling you to do, you do right now. Father, bless your word as we have heard it. And Father, may it challenge us and shape us for the glory of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.